0: Friday, you know what time it is. It's time for Friday Hoops with your host, Vince Carter. Hoop brothers and sisters, we got a really good show for you today, and I can't wait to get into it. First, a couple house cleaning notes. If you are following the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or all major podcast uh, platforms, great. If you're not, make sure you're following so you're getting all the latest podcasts. The second thing is that make sure you go ahead and leave like a five-star rating. Uh, Leave a comment. Make sure that uh, your voice is being heard on the podcast, that we're hitting all the teams and the players that you want to hear about because we can't make the show better without you. That leads me to our Twitter you can always get to us there on X, at FrontRunnerPC, or you can hit my guy Nico up at at NicoFRPC. And then we have the YouTube channel, and I've been talking about that the last couple times, and uh, that's the FrontRunner Podcast Collective on YouTube. And usually what happens with that is that there'll be a note or something that was left out of the pod, And that's where you'll usually see extras from that basically end up in the YouTube video. So, check out our YouTube channel. Um, Subscribe, like, comment, do all of that. We're trying to grow. So, the only way to do it is to ask for it. So, that's what I'm doing now. Let's get into the pod, shall we? Uh, A couple things. At the end of this pod, you're going to hear a conversation that I had with Evan Townsend. Evan has been following the San Antonio Spurs for about four years, and we did a breakdown of the front office, uh, the dynamics with Wimby in the city, his rivalry with Chet. It's about a 29-30 minute conversation, so that's our new uh, focus. What we're going to be doing from here on out is we're going to like break down franchises and we're going to have people who are on the ground who are dealing with the franchises on a day to day basis. So you can get a flavor of what's actually going on with your favorite team. And so what we're calling it at this point in time is front runner franchise check in. So the first installment will come up at the back end of this pot. So let's get to the rest of the class, shall we? All right. Um, We're going to focus in our, our, uh, I guess, our observations today on the Golden State Warriors. And I have plenty of notes, right? Because that's what I always do. One day, I'm going to start transcribing these notes digitally. But I love writing, so I have no idea when that's actually going to happen. So the rumors are abound. The trade winds are blowing by the bay. The Warriors are currently 19-23. and 23. That ranks them 12th in the West. The way things are currently constituted with the Golden State Warriors, they're not a playoff teams. Golden State is literally too small. Steve Kerr has not identified a second scorer because Clay is not that guy anymore um, because of injuries and, um, you know, just he's just a step slower. He's just not that guy. Um, he can give it to you once every four or five games, but if you're asking for it on a consistent basis, it just can't happen. With the string of injuries that the Warriors have had in the inconsistent lineups that Steve Kerr has implemented, it has left oh, the organization who has been light years ahead. Now, I say they are light years ahead when they had Kevin Durant. But Joe Lacob said they were just the organization is just light years ahead. So uh, you take that for what it's worth. I say with Kevin Durant. But basically, this leads the Golden State Warriors with a murky future. Golden State, via Steph Curry, has a top 10 offense. Now, actually, for the nerds out there, they're actually ranked 11th in offensive rating at 118.2. So don't get at me. I understand they're just outside the top 10, but you know what I'm talking about. Which, to me, if, if Steph is really holding this team together, I think it's a... If nothing's done, it is going to be a gross negligence by the front office, which is led by Kurt Lakeup and Mike Dunleavy Jr. Right now, they currently haven't surrounded Curry with um, a roster that is fitting to contend with your superstar who is actually still having superstar type year. Curry's still shooting 40 percent from three right now 40.2. it's on 11.4 attempts but Curry's struggling because all the attention is on him. He's still averaging almost twenty-seven points a game at twenty-six point eight, and basically, it's just a slog for him. Of course, all the defenses are going to funnel all their def- all the best defender onto Curry. Now, Curry does a great job of moving without the ball. Um, that offense is very inter- intricate especially when Draymond is back in the fold, which he is now. So you can see that offense starting to click a little bit, but they're having a problem. And the problem is is they don't have enough guns. A couple other issues. The young players, Kaminga and Moody, have been disgruntled by their roles and their minutes within the team. Now, of late, Jonathan Kaminga, his minutes and his role have seemed to become crystallized. In the last five games, he's averaging 28 minutes a game. So, there was a issue early on where Kaminga and I believe Moody went to the media and talked about their role. They didn't think that... Steve Kerr was handling 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 their development as well as they thought he thought uh, he should. And now Kaminga is starting to get the burn that he's actually deserved because this is what Kaminga's done in the last five games. 25 points plus per game and six rebounds, which Kerr wants more from Jonathan Kaminga. Early in the season, Kaminga's minutes were contingent on his rebounding effort, but through injury attrition, Kaminga's role has formed, which basically, he's looking at a situation like, hey, none of these other guys are performing, Kevon Looney looks like a shell in himself, we have no idea what's wrong with Andrew Wiggins, which we'll get to in a second, Um, and we need some juice, and Kaminga has provided that, and especially over like a a stretch run over like the last 10 games. He's really pumped up the numbers as far as his scoring. Because on the year, he's averaging like 14.8. And like I said, over the last five, he's averaging over 25 a game. So, that's a great thing right there. Uh, Moody's role has improved, but it hasn't surpassed. He has been surpassed by rookie Brandon Podzinski Out of Santa Clara. Now, Pod's feel and connectivity has given Kerr a guy that he feels he can trust. (laughs) That's an indictment on Kerr and also on Moody. Not figuring out a way to get his defensive prowess on the court, speaking of Moody, has been basically one of the conundrums that we have seen with the Warriors over the last three years. Moody, for some reason... Can shoot the ball fairly well. He can handle the ball fairly well. He defends very well. But for some reason, he has not adapted to the system or the system hasn't augmented enough to incorporate him. So however you want to look at that for my, uh, dub nation family out there, however you want to look at that is your, uh, is your opinion. Now, I would love for you guys to hit me up on X at FrontRunnerPC and let me know which one is it. Is it that he has not integrated himself into that system, or did that system need to augment to fit the style play that Moses Moody actually has to offer? Because I think there's still a lot to the game. I still think there that kid can be playing valuable minutes and viable minutes in a in a winning uh type situation. So I think there's just there's some kind of disconnect between Moody and Coach Steve Kerr. Now this is all a backdrop to what we're about to go into. Okay, it's Friday, so we're within the two-week window of the trade deadline. So you know what's going to happen here. Keep it locked on Front Runner Podcast Collective because we are going to have all the news that you're going to need to know. We're going to look at all the trades from all the angles that it kind of needs to be looked at. We'll tell you if it was a financial move, was it a good move, you know, as much as we possibly can, you know, Um, As we start to move forward, getting more into draft, you'll know where these picks kind of fall. So keep it locked here with us and make sure you're getting all of it because we're going to give it to you. Now, let's get into some of the rumors that I've heard through podcasts, uh, reading, um, on X, everything like that. Per who... Hoop Hype, Michael Scato that the NBA execs are monitoring Andrew Wiggins of the Golden State Warriors. I told you the Golden State theme to this. Wiggins, for some reason, still has value around the league. Now, the problem is, is that Wiggins is averaging 12 points a game. He's also averaging 1.5 assists a game. He's played in 38, so he's been there, which is different than last year. But the problem is, is that the production is not matching the salary. 12 points a game, and this man is making $27.25 million annually. So, what do you do? There is one team that continues to have a fascination with Wiggins. And that is the Dallas Mavericks. For some reason, the Dallas Mavericks have been making googly eyes at Andrew Wiggins for years. Um, Now, I will tell you, a wing like Andrew Wiggins with his head put on right would be a boom for the Dallas Mavericks at this point in time. But we just have not seen that Andrew Wiggins... Since he had his personal issue last year. That kept him out for basically half the, the second half of the season. And it just hasn't been the same guy. And no one has ever been clear on what the matter was. Now, I understand if there's some things in there that you don't want out. But a personal matter when you miss Literally, I, real close to half the season. I want to say it was like thirty-five games. Like there were points where there were uh, people in that organization who really had no idea when or even where where he was going when he was going to show up. So, I mean, with that being said. Andrew Wiggins is a talented player. We saw it we saw it in the finals a couple years ago. We've seen him play very well with the Golden State Warriors. We've seen this guy rebound incredibly. We've seen him shoot pretty decently and it just seemed all to go away and I have no idea what happened to the guy that the Golden State Warriors built to the guy who just seemed to lose it. Overnight. A couple more things to get into. Where does this leave us with the Golden State Warriors? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the things that are on the table for them. Because remember, there's a report by Sham Sharania of The Athletic. I want to say it was about three to four weeks ago where he said that everybody except for Steph was on was on the trade block. At that point in time, I said, does that really mean that? Or does that mean we're keeping Dre, Clay, and Steph, and then everybody else is on the block. And I still we still haven't gotten any real tangible news that would tell us that Everything is on the table for the Golden State Warriors as of yet. But I think the questions that we have to ask ourselves are are these. Is Chris Paul's expiring contract wanted around the league? Now, I will tell you that that CBA boogeyman is going to rear its ugly head during this trade deadline season. So, if you are a uh, market that's an NBA franchise and let's say for some reason you're not your owner hasn't been one to dabble in the luxury tax you might want to go on on a uh, sports track and see how close your team is to the actual luxury tax to see if they're going to be doing anything during the trade deadline because I tell you right now, there are going to be teams that are going to dump salary to stay away from it, stay clear of it, don't want to be anywhere near it, and I'm telling you, it's going to happen. So I wonder what we're looking at. Now, Chris Paul, contract, you're looking at 30 plus million. You could get a really good piece back depending on what kind of assets you want to attach to it. Is this the Jonathan Camingo pool? Is this is this something else? I don't know. But I wonder how wanted the Chris Paul contract is. The next question: Andrew Wiggins. Is it Wiggins? But what else? Because right now, if you trade Wiggins, you need to attach something with it. Wiggins cannot get you something on his own. So what is which one of the young guys will it be? Will it be the ultra young guy in Brand, uh, Brandon Podzinski? I don't think so. Kerr loves him. It's not gonna happen. Will it be the mercurial Jonathan Kaminga, who Kerr has battled with since day one? Because that kid is want wanted nothing but more playing time since he's gotten there. That's the question. And then it leads us to the it leads us to a the third question is this. Can the new front office make the hard choice? Because here's the other thing. Clay can't be like the third guy. You actually need two pieces. I don't know if you have enough to get it. Or can you get really good role players who can kind of fill that role of two and three with Pazimski, which with the emergence of Jonathan Kaminga, if you don't have to put him in the deal, is the lure of Paul's contract with Wiggins. Now, those two salaries together get you a monster deal. Is there somebody who's willing to come off that type of money? That would be the the Zach Levine contract. So think about that. So could Zach Levine help the Golden State Warriors? Is that the piece you need? Is Kaminga going to be involved? All these questions need to be answered. But I will tell you this. We have 13 days to figure it out. And this is the exact place that you want to be. Front runner, Podcast Collective is going to hold it down for you, my fellow hoop heads out there. We are gonna have everything underneath the sun when it comes to this trade deadline. All right. We will work tirelessly tirelessly for you, most guaranteed. All right, a couple other things I want to throw out there for the Golden State Warriors, and then I got one other thing that I want to get to, and then we can close it out. And then you guys will get to the Evan Townsend interview that I had, and it was just a great discussion about the San Antonio Spurs, and I I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So here's one option that I don't know if anybody's really looking at, And I thought about this a little bit earlier today. And I don't think you'd have to spend a lot to get it. But you might have to give up some draft capital. So, if Kaminga's going to play the way he's playing, the one thing that we have talked about with the Golden State Warriors, they're just entirely too small. I think I might have a way to fix that. And I think I have a way of doing it on the relative cheap buy low option for the Golden State Warriors you could get a package of Miles Bridges Nick Richards or PJ Washington both if you get the wing which in Miles Bridges and get one of the bigs which is in uh, Nick Richards or PJ Washington you have addressed your size and you also added scoring punch that you didn't necessarily have now I don't know if you'll ever get Andrew Wiggins back the way he was and here's the thing he doesn't even need to be NBA championship caliber Andrew Wiggins it'd be great if he could get back to that But if he can be just the guy that he was as he was ascending to the NBA champion, Andrew Wiggins, if he can be like the eight rebound guy, if he can be the 17 point guy, if he can get back to that, you still have a player. But the problem is, is that you're running out of time. So here's the one thing that we do know about Miles Bridges. Take all of the -the off-the-court issues aside with the domestic violence and what have you. Okay? That's something that the courts have dealt with. We don't need to deal with that right now. We're going to look at him strictly as an asset for the Golden State Warriors. Miles Bridges gives buckets. That's what Miles Bridges does. The other thing is that he's physical, he's going to give you a defensive presence, he's going to rebound the basketball, something that Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga forget to do. Miles Bridges doesn't have this issue, nor does Nick Richards and or P.J. Washington. You get bigger, you get more physical, you get help for Steph, and now you can buy yourself some time when it comes to clay and start making decisions on that situation because the sand the sands and the hourglass on that seem to be getting very, very low. All right, so we're gonna get to the awkward game of the night and that game was the Los Angeles Lakers against the Chicago Bulls. I don't know if you guys got to see any of this game, but the first thing that I thought of is these two teams were playing each other, and I can just look at Palinka, and I can look at the front office of Chicago, and they're looking at each other. It's like, hey, you got stuff? What you got? You want to get, you want to, you want to get some of my stuff? No. No. Cool. Cool. All right. All right, then I'll check you later. (laughs) Remember early in the year, uh, early in the season, you had the Zach Levine rumors floating around and everybody was in an uproar about Zach Levine coming to the Lakers. I was like, no, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that one. But, I just thought it was funny those two teams were playing one another, so the Lakers in this game they win one forty one to one thirty two. Not a defense was played in this game, uh, but this was the best shooting performance the Lakers have had all season. They shot sixty five percent from the three point line, and they they shot sixty one percent overall. Deloading trade value chart. Okay. So D'Angelo Russell has been the name that has been bandied about when the Lakers are talking about some of these trades that are going around. The DeJounte Murray from Atlanta to, to, to LA, Delo would be part of that deal. We reported here that there has to be a third team involved that has been corroborated by many jake fisher or yahoo uh Johan Yo, Yovan buha of the athletic who covers the team um daily so a lot of people have reported this now d'angelo russell of late has been on an absolute heater check some of these numbers out in the last five games 28 points a game 6.4 assists Now, this is the best part of it. D'Angelo Russell, in the last five games, has shot 46 three-point attempts. He has made 26 of 46 three-pointers in the last five games. So, first of all, he's putting up nine attempts, and he's making an average of five of them that's called getting it done in 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 my world so um <clears throat> D-Lo on the year it's really been not surprising he has had his best shooting career or best shooting year of his career this year he's shooting 48% from the field He's shooting 42.2% from three. And Russell is blowing away his career effective field goal percentage. So his career effective field goal percentage is 51.4%. This season, 578 That's a whole six points more. He is being efficient he is struggle hard to kind of fall into this role but they kind of allowed him they let him loose now i believe they're doing this because they are trying to bump up his trade value i think this is a way of saying hey no no my guy is a scorer and if you got this this is what you would be getting i don't know how much effect it will have around the league because here's the thing with D'Angelo Russell that I see constantly, I've I've seen it his entire career. It really hasn't gotten better. Still, he is very inconsistent of turning the ball over. He can have games where he can have two or three. He can have games where he has seven. Here's the other thing that he does. D'Angelo Russell has a has a propensity to be over aggressive in his shot selection. And what I mean by that is that Delo will come down and shoot like a 27-foot three with 18 seconds on the shot clock. We didn't nobody's underneath to even rebound or anything. It's like you just you, you just feel it and you're just going to pull right now. And at 27, I think this is who he's going to be. So yes, I know there are a lot of D D'Angelo Russell fans. I know there's a lot of D'Lo fans out there. I hear you. I see you on X talking about if they trade D'Angelo will riot. But here's the thing: I understand the points look sexy. But what about those five to six possessions where you get absolutely nothing? And it was just basically a lapse of concentration by D'Angelo Russell. That's the difference in the Lakers being basically like 26 and and 18. You know, whatever. What no? to be be 26 and 19. So they would have three more wins. Easy. Just off. And this is not all on D'Angelo. If D'Angelo could be a tertiary ball handler, if he would just un, if he would just continue to fall into the role as a spot up shooter and allow Austin Reeves and LeBron James to do their thing and put him in the best position, he could still attack closeouts. He could still get frisky with the second unit and be the offensive initiator there. They would keep D'Lo you would be able to minimize some of the lapses in concentration. But if Delo is going to be hell-bent on holding to the ball and being a primary facilitator, unfortunately, he's going to have to go. And I really do like D'Angelo's game, except for a couple little things. So... All right, so with that being said, you guys are off to listen to a great conversation with myself and Evan Townsend. You guys enjoy that. Uh, I We will be back on this feed on Monday. So, you know, I'm just going to tell you guys now to be easy and we will see you down the road. Dude. All right, this is something that we've been trying to get to for a little while now. We told you that we would be going like in-depth with some of these teams, and I am so excited about this. So it's the first real episode of Frontrunner Franchise Check-In, and we have the San Antonio Spurs on deck. And I couldn't think of no better person to talk to about this than Evan Townsend. He's been covering the Spurs for like four years. You can find him on Twitter. At Evan Townsend underscore Evan, how's it going, my man?
1: How's it going, Vince? Uh, no, yeah, we've been talking for a good while trying to set this up, man. So I appreciate you uh, being patient and appreciate you. Uh, reaching yeah, out.
0: man. It's uh, it was one of those things when Wimby got uh, when when you got the number one overall pick. I mean, you're the first person I thought of, but I was like, let it marinate. Let them have some <laughs> excitement. And, and let's see what it seems like, you know, at this point of the season. And now we've gotten through half of the season. I have some questions for you. Now, the only person I can think of to answer these questions is the Renaissance man. You know, music mogul, Spurs, you know, observationalist, you know, just draft expert. I needed you on this podcast. So I hope you're ready for this. <laughs> Hey, man, I appreciate you. That's just, <laughs> I'm, I'm right. more than ready. So, so the first thing is is that you have um Wynn come in. There's a ton of excitement. And the question I have is that he had a staff with him, right, previous to when he came to the NBA. How has that staff incorporated mm-hmm. yeah. itself with the actual San Antonio Spurs uh, training staff?
1: Yes, you know, from, from as far as I know, they had um, a group of trainers, uh, a couple of them that are officially um, hired by the Spurs now. Um, but he's had the same, you know, regimen from, um, you know, warming up your toes with, you know, bear crawls, barefoot, three hours before the game, all that from the, the funny, uh, like the, the, uh, he, the closeout drill he does that everybody likes where he just moves his feet pretty quick. Shows his, his uh, elusiveness and nimbleness for being 7'4", um, you know, but something that I don't think a lot of people know about, like, how the uh, medical staff, like, keeps him protected, uh, besides, like, the obvious, obvious uh, men's restriction, is they do anything and everything they can um, to make sure that nothing is strained, nothing is, is uh, ongoing, uh, bothering him. And uh, it's it's worked out so far. A lot of fans are, are mad about this minutes restriction, but the medical staff has done a pretty good job. And, you know, there's jobs on the line. So, you know, they're, they're doing a pretty good job of just making sure everyone's intact and the right people are making the right decisions. So
0: That leads me to my next question, is that you have R.C. Buford, you have Gray Popovich, and a name that I don't think a lot of people hear of is uh, Brent Berry. Could you talk? or elaborate on his role with the team and how this triumvirate is working around with Wimby to create the culture that San Antonio is used to. And then also what Wimby brings, because this is a completely different animal because he actually likes the attention. So this is a little bit different. So tell me how those dynamics are working in San Antonio.
1: Yeah, so I'm sure just like every other fan base, they, these guys have legends or you know well-respected players that are still in and around the community that uh, help run the organization. And the Spurs have done that with, with Brent. I'm not sure exactly what his role is, um, but the new Spurs GM is Brian Wright. He was hired uh, from Orlando and Detroit. Uh, he was working previously. And when R.C. Buford stepped down after the whole Kawhi debacle, or during that debacle actually, uh, Brian Wright stepped in, but they all collectively make decisions together. Um, I, I obviously can't speak for any other organization, but um, I can't think of one that has a collective of people with no politics, no, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's high rankings and stuff like that. But when it comes down to the decision-making, um, the reason why I even love Covencee, because it's so easy to predict the type of people that they would want to bring in, whether it's the staff or that it's the, the players on the uh, on the roster. You're not going to be looking at anybody from a, a Ben Simmons prima donna or a James Harden-esque uh, uh, exit um, to be brought into an organization that is like, like I said, you know, nothing left, nothing right, you know, just black and white. That's what, that's what people say down there. So um, at the end of the day, you know, when it comes down to it, um, the whole staff has done a good job of of assuring that they're establishing the same culture. Um, they just opened up a half a billion dollar practice facility. Uh, the victory performance uh, <laughs> is the writing was on the wall beforehand. You know, no, no, uh, <laughs> there was no script, anything like that. But, you know, as far as I know, but when it comes down to it, um, they're always going to incorporate the right type of model that other franchises uh, and other people, um, players, uh, parents, I've looked up to and said great things about in the past. So
0: well, that's good to hear that the San Antonio Spurs way is continuing since we're starting to lose our legends. In the NFL, Belichick is gone now um, with a couple coaching staff, coaching um, jobs out there. But with Pops on board and he's actually running this ship, talk to us about now. I'm going to tell you my I'm going to tell you my opinion. When they came out with the point guard mm-hmm. Sahan situation. OK, <laughs> I was on board. Yeah. Let me tell you why. I was like, listen, this is an experimental year. You you have something that you've never seen before. Victor Wimbayama needs all the runway that he can possibly get, because we have no idea what the actual limits are for somebody seven foot four who kind of looks like a stretched out Kevin Durant sometimes, right? <laughs> um yeah. Yeah. I didn't really have a problem with it. Now they've shifted. And now they have Trey Jones in in the in the lineup in the rotation. It seems that like they've moved to a more traditional way of playing. And Wimby has moved to the five. Is that something that will be a permanent situation? I know he didn't have a real desire to play it, but now that we're forty three oh. games in, how has the mood changed?
1: Yeah, you know, one thing I learned th- you know, throughout the scouting process with Victor is that he just has always considered himself a wing. He's never really had the, the core strength or the, you know, just the will to play the position is the best way to put it. I can't speak for himself, uh, for, for the man. So when it comes down to it, um, there's so many objectives that you can just, you know, steer this conversation of, how Victor's incorporated new things and added to his game and made it seem like he's just picked it up right away. So just imagine just a creative player. That's everyone says, a creative player. And then three years ago, he did not have, he didn't have any type of special step back or any any type of creation. He knew how to dribble, but it wasn't an established uh, factor uh, to his game. So if you can imagine anything and everything that he that you see now also being taught to him at a, at a recent, uh, at a recent time, um, he doesn't know how good he is and, you know, how the Spurs run their offense, which is finally through him now. They just like to set up lobs. They like to just create mismatches. The Spurs have run the same offense um, since I was, I first started watching basketball really in 2003, 2004, um, basically just having a grenade set up to where they have an open man, um, knock down an open shot with the last couple of seconds of the, of the, of the shot clock just to set up the right, uh, open opportunities and if it wasn't that they're gonna they're gonna hit the, uh, the cut man from a low post guy with a bounce pass that nobody sees coming and that's what they're doing now still so uh you know with victor everything is like i said not only new to him um uh, but it's new to us and we should just be patient so if he doesn't want to play center at the start of the season and he finally you know took that took that turn to pop and said you know what i'll i'll, I'll buy in and he's leading the league in blocks. He's the, one of the best weak side rim protectors today in the NBA. And I said this a long time ago. He could very well be the best <laughs> weak side rim protector of all time. Like the timing he has, the the op- the opportunities and options you have once the Spurs' roster gets better. Say you bring in another elusive um, uh, rim protecting center. It could be Nick Claxton I'm afraid, and Fred, so you can outbid anybody else for him. You can bring in Alex R if you get lucky enough. And then also. Also, you can bring in maybe another rim protecting thing like an anchor. You just have the best three, four, five, <laughs> huge rotation and throw out a zone every now and then. It's it's unstoppable. So um, with time, it'll look like it's the most, This probably one of the best defenses or defensive sets you've ever seen. Um, so we'll we'll see how that plays out in eight months. But um, with Victor, the sky's the limit. So he's he's making. Everyone's life a lot easier just by making uh just by adding more options of what you can add to his game
0: now with that being said, you led me down the right road. You have Devin vassell, you have Keldon Johnson, Jeremy Sohan, little talked about Blake Wesley as well of those four players yeah. is there anybody in that group that you can see with Victor three years from now? and they're contending and trying to get into it, be in the playoffs and and make noise.
1: Yeah, you know, I um, if you asked me this question 6 months ago, 6 months ago, that it would be a completely different answer from now, but um, Devin Vassell just signed his contract. He's signed for uh, it was signed his extension as kicks in this summer and he's, he's inked for 5 years. Um, that's his second option money with the cap going up in a couple of years. Um, it's great value for what he has. Kelton Johnson, same thing. A couple more years, got an extension a couple years ago. Great value. Um, Jeremy Sohan is on his, is on his rookie deal. Uh, he's, he's obviously going to be going be brought back. They have a couple years to figure out what his extension is going to be looking like. Uh, but he's a combo for it. Blue guy, point of attack defender every team needs. Now Blake Wesley, if you added him to this group, like I said, six months ago, I would have called you crazy. I would have I saw it. As Blake Wesley has been the odd man out, um, the combo guard that's super streaky that is not consistent at anything. And now he's turned into the combo guard of the future that could play alongside Trey Jones, that could play alongside Devin if he slides through the three. And when it comes down to it, um, I, don't, I wouldn't trade him for, for anything um, unless there's a team that is offering him a way better value and he wants out. The Spurs have always done right by getting their core players into right situations, keyword core. If you're a role player and you know a, a trade is just outright, you know too good to be t- to turn down. I'm sorry, buddy, you're going to Sacramento. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? But th- that's just that's just how it goes. So uh, when it comes down to it, we'll see how it plays out. But um, I like all those guys being on the long term um, future of this team if they want to buy into what role that they're given. Kelvin Johnson got demoted to the bench, and you know a lot of people are saying that that's not going to be a long term option for him. So if um, we find a better option, a three and D guy that can obviously be a better defender, that can obviously you know be a better uh, suited small forward next to Wimby, uh, rather than six 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 five, how Kelvin Johnson's frame is, we'd rather move on. Um, but it, it would be tough. So and I hate to just bring his his name, anybody and everybody in that light for the right value would be expendable. Uh, but I I would rather keep all four if I was the GM. Um, but again, not my job. Right. So.
0: Well, one thing I will tell San Antonio fans: listen, it only took Victor about thirty-eight games to get to the center spot. Here in Los Angeles, it took AD five years. So um, there's a little difference <laughs> there. So I'll just you know, we'll just keep it. We'll uh, just keep it going man, from that point. But funny. it took five years, but we got there. We did that get there. Um, a couple more questions about Wimby himself. I know that he hasn't really shot the three very well. I love the form. I don't have a problem with the shooting. I think it's a strength issue only as far as that's concerned. Does Pop or does any of the coaching staff talk to him about his positioning, when the shot's not falling, um, how to get in, or go ahead and start using his cutting skills more? Has he started to say, oh, has he figured out the point where, oh, the shot hasn't fallen? Let me go ahead and do some other things to go ahead and get myself into the mix, or is it still I'm I'm reticent to do that?
1: This is yeah, Victory we'll said, right? It. Yeah, so um, it's the same volume and same S percentage that he ha- that he's had over the same the last couple of years when he was playing in Europe. Um, I'm trying to pull it up side by side if I can right now if I can still see stream. He's been subpar thirty, and he's only had stretches where he's shooting above forty for only a couple of games in a row, when the volume is down. Um, to speak to that, when you watch the Spurs play, especially to start of the season with no actual point guard player functionality in their in their rotation, he would get actually agitated, and just shoot um, pull up threes in transition, which isn't very Spurs like and um, contested. He, he hit it. He hit it. A contested roaming. On one foot to the side, three against, I think it was Memphis a couple weeks ago. You know, stuff like that. You love to see the confidence. And, you know, uh, I I think a lot of OKC and Chet fans like to call Wimby a brick machine. It's solely just because of threes. Mid-range is money. He's being more efficient than that. But it doesn't really have a set in stone, um, like, how do you say, just like a go-to play or go-to move. But he just—he's very uh, uh, adaptive, uh adaptive to um, to change, and adaptive to make that last-minute adjustment in air, whether if it's whether he's getting fouled, uh, the behind the behind-the-backs in motion over Brooke, or behind Brook Lopez just to slam on him. Uh, Wimmy's he's really quick in his decision making, and um, with more confidence, and with actual better teammates around him to find to get him the ball, better playmakers. You know, you know the guy the a I think this guy can easily average thirty five forty points in his prime and um you know that's years from now but we'll see we'll see how that plays out
0: one thing that we will bring up and know it's gonna be a sore spot for Spurs fans but I want to bring it to a positive what was what has victor's right. uh attitude been since the 70 point game how, what have been the little blurbs that have come out oh
1: yeah you know, a, a lot of people were really mad, just Spurs fans, because it's like it's almost embarrassing. That you know, you have it in your blood that you're a dynasty forever, and then when you see your team having six, seven straight years of being mid or just terrible, it's pretty tough to kind of just come around to. But you know, I have a good uh, understanding of, you know, the players having a great relationship with them, with themselves, uh, the agents, and you know the. Um, scouts that i talked to, there's really no turmoil in terms of the organization that they could tell me or that they would tell me but you could just tell from the body language that even the guys that get no playing time, even the guys that feel like they should get a lot more opportunity or not a lot more, even money <laughs> just straight up I, I I feel like they all have a high respect for one another and if anything were to, um to come out, it would be more than obvious the Spurs have done a really good job of bringing in people that are family-orientated men, guys that just make sure that there's nothing left on the court, and if there's any drama, you just you just squash it, man. There's, there were people saying that uh, Jeremy Sohan and Calden hated Victor and they were avoiding um, <laughs> avoiding passing the ball. I have a basketball IQ and passing IQ and the ability and the confidence, but we're working on that. So um, they'll, they'll get there and then eventually – like I said, everything is just going to be under the table, under the wraps. So.
0: Very cool. One more question, and then we're going to get you up out of here. The Chet, Wimby, so, whatever you want to call it, Chet versus Wimby, Chet, Chet and Wimby rookie of the year competition, just rivalry. Mm-hmm. Here's my question. How, how competitive is Wimby towards Chet? Has he given any indication yeah, I mean, of how they really kind of don't real, They don't dig each other? <laughs> no, not at all. And uh,
1: I think I forgot what his, his ad name was, but somebody was alluding to it. He's, he was a pretty big page on Spurs Twitter, and he was saying, oh, these guys don't like one another. It's the rematch, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he's getting torn in shreds in the quotes, but rightfully so. These guys do not like each other. Ever since back, they were playing – when they first met, when they were 17, 18, respectfully, um, in the FIBA U18s. Jaden Ivy on that team, Kenny Lofton, uh, Wimby had all his French buddies on that team, and, and Wimby, got, Wimby was fouled out, and the headlines was, oh, Chet dominated, blah, 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 this and that, but realistically, it was just an even thought out matchup. But um, even in the preseason, I went down to Oklahoma City, Wimby had that steal, he was screaming in chat's face, and you could just tell like this is gonna be, <laughs> this is literally gonna be like a Tim Duncan, um, like a KG type of comparison rivalry. Um, but when it comes down to it, um, the Rookie of the Year campaign is basically just um, the most annoying uh, argument that I see every single day. I have to mute a lot of people. I'm just, I just can't stand their takes. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's, it's just really either uh, obvious, obvious uh, Homer bias. Or you're just ignoring and being ignorant to what the facts are. So Chet won back-to-back Rookie of the Months because, just because you know the Spurs played point, sport, uh, Sohana at point guard and they didn't have a lot of uh, opportunity to give him the ball. You know, Chet won. That's just the reality. And people are arguing, oh, but if this didn't happen and this didn't happen, you can't use butts when it comes to voting. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's. So many hypothetical situations. Oh, if Chet played in San Antonio, would he be better? If Wimby played in OKC, OKC would they be a contender? Who cares? Vote, vote how, or, or scout and evaluate how, on what you see stat by stat, and of course people are saying, oh, Victor hasn't beaten every single percentage except for field goal percentage. Where's Chet? Really, right, right. behind him. Wimby's leading the league in, in blocks. Chet is fourth right. or fifth. <laughs> And granted, Chet is the third option, third. right in OKC, and he's getting and all the all the gravity that that Shea creates it gives uh, Chet, Chet open shots. He gets two or three wide open shots a game. Everything else, he's kind of initiating himself. And you know, I made the argument a couple of weeks ago that this just could come down to a Cobra kid the year because you can't take away one from one of the other because they're both dominant. Without Chet, this team like, would probably be with the position they were right. in last year. There'll probably be a fifth or, or fourth or fifth seed and without wimby we probably wouldn't have won a game <laughs> so the evaluation of how which one is more important which one it weighs it really can't be outweighed from one another so um you know everybody was tearing me shreds in my own group chat saying how could you promote this was law this and that dude it's a good competition you have to respect greatness these guys are both dominating on a nightly basis and I get it. Chet was had a whole year to rebuild his body. The man could have had his career ended because of Jamal Crawford's little little program. <laughs> so you gotta give it, you gotta give it respect. He came back from a a, a gruesome injury, and he looked like he hasn't lost a step. So if you use that as an argument, he got strong, got bolder, got wiser, got taller, got all all this. Came back from a crazy injury that not a lot of people can come back from. So with his frame, the way it is. So um, I'm still waiting on the audio. I, I tweeted the guy, I forgot his name. This guy finds audio clips of players on the court. I know you've seen it when they're arguing back mm-hmm. and forth and they're cussing each other this and that. Mm-hmm. I was telling him, I was like, "Hey man, I know you got it. It was on ESPN. I know you got the clips. So we'll see if they posted." But because Wimby and Chet in the fourth quarter, they were barking at each other. They were going back and forth. They were tra- they, Wimby was trying to dunk on him, and Chet was running from him. Chet was ducking smoke. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if that outweighs anybody's voting or if, you know this race is just solely Wimbys now but uh it's going to be interesting man um i really appreciate you taking the time to bring me on uh we definitely now have to do this again but when, the, when it comes down to draft time draft is only a couple months away or draft season is only a couple months away and um this is the last this is the only draft that i've covered where there's no solidified no, number no 1 more. and with my spurs hey with my spurs these my, these guys these fans They want to be told anything and everything that sounds good, but mm, I'm telling you, man, these evaluations are going to be crazy. There's a lot of guys that could be a Braden Pazemski, a Jaime Jaquez, uh, super seniors, even guys that are um, juniors that just transferred from JUCOs, all that kind of good stuff in like the 15 to 30 range. And there's a lot of guys in the second round that could be plugged and played and I want to say, being like a Derek Lively type of situation, but can find themselves on the NBA court quicker than what they would think. If they were to stay another year um, in this week class, so um, yeah, man, it's got a lot of a lot of discourse, got a lot to talk about, but I definitely appreciate you and um, yes, yeah, sir. Let I'm me just help
0: you. the San Antonio Spurs fans on on two things. First of all, let's just appreciate the two big men, understand what it is. It's going to be great for a hopefully more than a decade, and then here's one little piece: the kid out of France. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher his name, Worcestershire. No, Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the one.
1: Yeah,
0: that's the one. That he's, that's the one. He's good. I'm just I'm planting my flag on that one. <laughs> so if San Antonio, you know, we just started to dig into this draft and we just put our top ten on the website. So for everybody, you can go to frontrunnerpc.com and you can check that out. And we'll have more coming in the next couple months. We're gonna have top twenty in February. We'll have top thirty by April, and then we'll we're gonna be ratcheting up the draft process. So we'll have you back on then, Evan. Man, I appreciate your time, and uh, keep it spicy in the Twitter. Okay, just keep it spicy. <laughs> I,
1: I I try I try not to at all times, but you know sometimes. You know, it has to be said. But let him know, my brother.
0: Let him know. All That's right.
1: Yes, Thank Much you. Thank yes, sir. Thank you.